Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now, here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Good morning. Let me invite you, if, uh, if you brought a copy of the scriptures with you, let me just point you to John chapter 11. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. We're going to deal with the, at least part of the entire chapter of John 11 this morning. And um, I'm grateful you're here. If you're in the room or if you're joining us from a living room somewhere, thank you for taking time to worship with the family of Inglewood this morning as, uh, uh, as we open God's Word together. Let me just say to you, as you're finding your way in the Scriptures, and uh, it has been an incredibly difficult week. Uh, that's probably the understatement of the day. Um, but man, I needed worship this morning. We didn't sing anything that was new to me. But man, it's important to remind ourselves of the gospel. To remind ourselves that, uh, man, there's hope. And uh, just to rehearse that together with you, my life's better today because of the opportunity to to uh, do that with you this morning. So thank you uh, for being here. Thank you for uh, rehearsing the gospel with us this morning as we sang it together. Um, as I said, it's been a difficult week and as such, I'm gonna take a departure from this series of messages we've been working through on a church to change the world. And uh, because of this week, uh, I wanna deal specifically uh, with the subject of uh, when the unimaginable happens. I want to talk about difficulties and trials. Here's the deal. Christians are not exempt from hard times, from tragedy, from difficulties, from struggles. Um, in fact, Jesus promised us that our lives would be filled with those. He said in John 16 in verse 33, in this world you will have troubles, trials, tribulations, but take courage. I've overcome the world and I can't control anything that happens around us by way of circumstance, but I know the one who controls all circumstances. And that's what I want to speak with you about over these next few minutes. This past Monday evening, I stepped out of my house and uh, looked up the street to see um, an enormous number of emergency vehicles in my neighbor's yard. And, um, and to make my way up there and spend a few minutes, uh, an hour or more with a mom and dad who, uh, whose teenage son died um, tragically, unexpectedly. And, and I watched not only parents, but siblings and grandparents and friends and a community tossed right into the, to the washing machine of life where everything is chaos and everything around us goes nuts. I listened to uh, boys and girls cry out to God and wail. I listened to what moms and dads said to me uh, there, where's God? I listened to people asking or making the statement in some form or fashion, I wished I had of, I wished I could, I wish this hadn't of, and then I heard, maybe more subtly, but the question, why did God? Where is God? If God's able, why did he? And some version of those questions. 
I said years ago, talking with a friend who was pretty angry about some difficult things that had taken place in their life, I said, uh, you can take that burden, that concern, that anger, that question directly to God. He's not thrown by it. In fact, I don't think you've grown in your faith of any significance if you've not shaken your fist at God once or twice. I'm by myself. None of you can even agree with that, I'm sure. But unless you've ever questioned the will of God or what God's up to, I don't know that you really have a good, good understanding of what's going on around you. So I believe God can stand up to the questions and I want to share with you a little bit this morning about a similar situation and I'm not going to try to bring you pop psychology. I'm not going to try to bring you wisdom from the ages of the long and expansive life of Chris Aiken, which, uh, excuse me, ain't so long, but it's a lot longer than it used to be. But I do want to take you to the place where our creator, the originator of life, where he dealt with a very significant situation like this. And of all the stories, of all the events, of all the circumstances that took place in the life and ministry of Jesus, for whatever reason, God saw fit not only to inspire, but to preserve this story for you and I. And I can only think it's because there's something in there we can draw from which helps us walk through dark times. And that's what I wanna talk with you about this morning, if I may. We're going to come out of uh, John chapter 11, and in this story is a, is a plea, a petition, a request from two sisters who were very close to Jesus as they prayed and they asked for Jesus to do something on behalf of their brother. It involves Jesus' closest disciples, the early church, if you will, hearing and learning from Jesus himself about how and why some terrible things happen and why God, when it seems like he may be silent, is never absent or unaware, but always working. Now, because it's such a lengthy passage and for the sake of time, I think I'm just going to deal with the text as we walk through it together rather than take time to read the chapter to you before we begin. But I do want us to pause and pray. So can I invite you to just join me in a word of prayer? Father, we're, we're going to defer right now from our own wisdom and intellect and logic and reason and all of the things that we think we know. We want you to help us place our emotions, even our hearts if possible in check for a moment as we simply come to you with open minds and open hearts and ask you to speak very clearly to us about what we do when the unspeakable happens, when the unimaginable occurs. God, I'm praying that today that for some who are Christ followers that will find ways to articulate answers that make sense and are helpful to those who go through tragedy. And for those today who are wrestling not only with this tragedy, but maybe their own tragedies, I pray that they would find answers of purpose and reason. And God, I pray that today you would increase our faith as you apply your word to our lives. May we be not only receptive, but desirous of hearing from you. You've told us if any of us lack wisdom to come to you without doubting and you would lavishly pour out wisdom toward us. So we beg of you now. We, don't, we can't do it on our own. We need you. So Father, speak to us. Holy Spirit, apply the word and may our response bring glory and honor to the name of our Savior. For we ask it in his name. Amen 
and amen. We're in John chapter 11. And hey, by the way, if you said, hey, I didn't bring a Bible with me today, Chris, or I'd like to follow along with the notes, I want to share with you four movements that take place in this text that you can follow along with. You could actually, if you don't, if you've got the church app, this is all in your sermon notes on the church app. If you don't have the app, but you'd like to have the outline complete with all the text that I'm going to talk with you about today, you could just simply text the word notes to that number that's on the screen. And then we'll send you a link that comes to the outline. It'll have all of the scriptures I'm going to share with you. It'll have everything that I have to say to you. Only later you can read it a lot faster than I'm going to say it. In the name of Jesus. All right. So the, uh, for those of you who like to just read ahead on the synopsis. Okay. So uh, let me show you these four movements um, in the text as we deal with this subject on when the unimaginable happens. The first thing I want you to see with me is the evidence or evidences of a broken world. The evidence of a broken world. Friends, we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that is uh, today reeling in chaos from the consequences of sin and destruction and honestly, rebellion of God's, God's highest creatures those created in his image thinking we could do better than God could and rebelling against that and the consequences through the ages that all of us are experiencing. We live in a broken world. And I want to show you that's exactly how John 11 opens with evidence of this. Look at verses 1 to 3 with me. He says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, we're not talking about the sniffles. We're not talking about... Uh, uh, a, a bad headache or anything. We're talking about some type of sickness or illness that was in some way grave in, in its significance. It came on likely suddenly. It was serious. It was sufficient enough that they dispatched a messenger on a two-day walk by foot to find Jesus to tell him, Lazarus, your friend, our brother, is gravely ill. Believe in Jesus would come quickly. Now, in this case, it's sickness, but we don't know what it is. We don't have all the details, but we know it's those things. But you could pull sickness out of there and you could insert any other kind of tragedy. It could have been a tropical cyclone to hit the western coast of the nation of India with 125 mile an hour winds, a cyclone so significant that hundreds of thousands of people in the midst of a global pandemic would be forced from their homes and forced to, to flee and find shelter inland somewhere perhaps. And dozens of them, in the last two weeks, dozens of them die, drowned by the storms that that caused. It could be the rage of a religious war resulted in thousands of rockets streaming overhead from Gaza to Israel, resulted in hundreds of deaths and thousands of injuries. It could be incidents of sexual abuse. It could be incidents of lynchings or genocides or child abuse. And a plethora of other circumstances could be the story. But the fact remains, someone asked God for help. And he doesn't respond as expected. And that bugs us. So why is that? 
Well, it's not a lack of affection. It's not like Jesus didn't love these people who asked him for help. John 11 and verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John knew we would ask that question. Maybe they just weren't that special to him. No, 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 no. John wrote in there specifically, he loved each of them. It wasn't a lack of affection. It wasn't a lack of ability or some resistance from outside of him that prevented him from being able to respond. John 11, verses 6 to 8. So when he heard he was sick, when Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? <laughs> hey, if Jesus didn't have the ability, he wouldn't have said to him after two days, let's go. He had the ability. If Jesus was worried about outside resistance, he would have said, man, I wish we could have gone, but we didn't. Paul said that. He said it to the church at Rome. He said, oh, you know, God knows how I've longed to come and be with you, but I've been prevented even until now from being able to even get to you. Jesus wasn't prevented. There was nothing that held him back. There was no lack of ability. There was no lack of affection. If something kept him from going, it had to be something else. Some people might shut down at this point and just turn their back toward Jesus, concluding that somehow he acted in error, or at least without some kind of concern, because he didn't act as they thought he ought to. But what if we're wrong? What if, in fact, God simply knows better than we do? I want to take a moment to prove that to you, but I want you to just consider for a second before we charge God with blowing it. Might we at least hear him out? The world's a broken world. There's no question about that. And its brokenness is not a deterrent to Jesus. Knowing its brokenness is precisely why he came. Now let me show you the second movement in the text for you to see. Notice with me that they cried for help and received silence. They cried for help and received silence. Now Jesus is aware of the situation and he's not intimidated by it. Yet when they asked him to come, he doesn't reply as expected. The question is, why did Jesus ghost the sisters and his friends when they called? Why did he leave them on red? Why did he not at least reply? Why did he not send back an answer that says, yeah, 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 but I, here's what's going on. Here's the next three steps. Why didn't Jesus give them some form of an explanation other than just abject silence? You and I, have, you, you may not want to admit it in public, but in your heart, you've asked that question. It may have been when a diagnosis came to you that you didn't understand. It may have been while you stood by the bedside of a loved one. It may have been when your boss gave you a pink slip. It may have been when you found yourself trapped indoors for 15 months over a global pandemic. But you've asked the question, Jesus, where are you and why won't you answer me? They cried for help and received silence. And beyond that, when he does show up, it seems like it's too late. 
Look at John 11, verse 17. When Jesus came, he found that he, when Jesus came, Jesus found that Lazarus had, been al- had already been in the tomb for four days. He's been dead at least four days, likely five days. It would have been customary to bury him within a day. He's been, he's been dead at least four days that we know of. Why, Jesus, if you can do differently, why didn't you? It's not a, hey, it's not an issue of Martha and Mary's faith. They were faithful people. They had faith toward him. That's why they sent for him. John 11, verse 21. Martha then said to Jesus, Jesus has arrived in town. Martha says to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Martha had faith. She believed Jesus was the answer. Mary had faith. Verse 32. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When you take their own testimony recorded in the word of God, held on to and preserved for you and I, you have to know what they're saying is, is we believe you're God. You have the ability to have stopped this pain. You could have caused my grief to subside. You could have rescued me from sorrow. But you were not here when I needed you. That's the heartbeat of these blessed sisters who were friends of his. Do you think God gets it? Do you think he knows the pain you and I experience and the questions that arise in our minds? Of course he does. He preserved it so that we would know this isn't news to him. He's there. And we've all charged him with the same thing at times. But humility, if we really understand what humility is, requires that we admit that our perspective is not the only way of thinking. Jesus, as he'll show us, is working toward a far greater aim than they could ever imagine. He's up to something that they can't see because they're right in the thick of it. John 11, verse 4, he told his disciples very early on, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness, what is afflicting Lazarus? The messenger's just arrived. He's just told him. The disciples said, Lord, I guess you want us to go gas up the, well, they didn't have cars. I guess you want us to go get your tennis shoes. We're going to take off immediately. And Jesus said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. What? How under heaven do you get there? I don't know. It's beyond my comprehension. But God knows. Or he's not a wonderful, merciful Savior, as Jordan sang and led us to understand. God's been telling us all along that his ways are different than ours. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts, God says through the prophet, are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, God God sees a bigger picture than we do. God understands more than we do. God's If you'll forgive me just simplifying it, God's smarter than us. And he's not impotent and he's not unaware. And he's not not in control. He's absolutely sovereign. 
Notice with me a third movement in the text. I want you to see with me that Jesus stepped toward their pain. He stepped toward their pain. He stepped toward their pain. Look at verses 33 to 36. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, the sister, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then every child's favorite memory verse, verse 35, Jesus wept. It's favorite because it's short, not because Jesus cried. Verse 36, so the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. Here's what I want you to get. You and I sometimes will hear about pain. We'll see suffering. We'll come in contact with a person's difficulty. And everything within us is looking for the back door. We're looking for an escape hatch. We're looking for, oh man, my phone just, I gotta, oh, this is, I gotta take this. We're looking to get away from it. Jesus did not try to get away from it. He moved toward it. This is the pain. Mary's crying. Her friends are weeping with her and Jesus moved toward her and the pain. By the way, that's been God's way all along. This isn't the first time that God seemed silent and then he stepped in toward pain. Can I take you back to the, the nation of Israel? Can I take you back to a time after 400 years of captivity under enemy rule in Egypt? Exodus 3 verses 7 and following. And the Lord said, as he's commissioning Moses, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. Do you hear God's awareness? Do you hear his ability? Do you hear his concern? Do you hear that he gets it? Verse 9, drop down to verse 9. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now and I'll send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Now wait a minute. If you ever thought God left you on red for a minute, this is a people group that sat for four centuries. Hey, listen, you're living in a country that's two and a half centuries old. Four centuries, four centuries, they cried out and prayed, God, don't you see? God, won't you answer? God, you said, God, we need God help. And it was as if he never heard a word to them. And yet he said, surely I've seen their affliction. Surely I've heard your cries. And I'm raised up Moses. Now listen, I don't know why God went and grabbed a dude who was on the backside of a desert, a fugitive from justice, who'd been walking around watching flocks for decades. I don't know why he did that. But he did. You'd think he'd have raised up a Eisenhower or Patton or some dude. Rambo, <laughs> Chuck Norris, 
You'd think he'd have grabbed some guy like that. But he gets a guy who's, a, who's scared to talk. Who's been a loner of loners. And God said, surely I've seen. Yes, I've heard. And now I'm sending. Friend, whether you see him or not, whether you sense his presence or not, whether you understand his purpose or not, God never wastes anything. And he's never unaware. Notice with me, finally, this fourth movement of the text. I want you to see that Jesus exchanged ashes for beauty. Jesus took their ashes. Jesus took the chaos. Jesus took the destruction. Jesus took the heartbreak. Jesus took the grief. And he did something beautiful with it. It's not just that Jesus was aware of their pain. He acted on it. I'm aware of a lot of things. I'm aware of what took place in, in India in recent days. But I haven't acted on it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't jump on a plane and head to India and, and start handing out uh, life preservers or water or food or anything of that nature. It's one thing to be aware, but our God's not just aware. He steps toward the pain and he does something about it. He acts on it. Look at verses 38 and 39. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the first sister to catch him as he comes into town. Martha, the sister of the deceased said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be a stench for he's been dead for four days. Now, listen, if you're, if you're reading that with modern eyes, that, that probably strikes you as a really odd statement. But you gotta go back a minute. To days before embalming, to days when there's a reason why they buried someone within 24 hours. There's a reason why that took place. And here's what Martha said. Lord, uh, it's too late. There's nothing you can do now. There's nothing good. That opportunity's gone. That ship has sailed. It's all over. I mean, we could do something else, but this one's finished. There's nothing good that can come out of this. Lord, in fact, if you do what you say you're going to do, you're going to make it worse than, than it was before you got here. Notice how Jesus responds to her. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, hold on a minute. That's what he told the disciples in verse 4. This sickness isn't unto death, but unto the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified. He didn't give them any details. He didn't lay out a plan. He didn't, he didn't let them text notes to his cell phone number and get, a, and get an update of what's happening. He said, God's up to something, and you're going to get to see it if you'll just stay with me. And he did. What kind of beauty could come from this thing that's going on here? What could happen out of the death of their brother and the grief of these sisters? What could happen? There's a, I found five manifestations of beauty that, that became prominent as I looked at it. You may find more, you may find less, but I want to show you what I found. What kind of beauty comes from it? First of all, 
this circumstance results in the praise and glory of God. That's the end game. That's what John eleven four 4 was all about. Jesus said this sickness not to death, but for the glory of God so that... So that here's a purpose. It's a henna clause. It's a purpose statement. It says, here's the reason. So that the Son of God may be glorified by it. What beauty comes out of this difficulty? Jesus said, the Son of God will be glorified by this. Secondly, it strengthened the faith of the followers of Jesus, of the disciples. It was... God used it to strengthen the faith of the believers, of the disciples. Verses 14 and 15. So Jesus then said to them plainly, the disciples, as they're still quizzing, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad, listen, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. So that, same purpose clause, you may believe. But let us go to him. Hey, don't you think they already knew? Don't you think they had already heard? Don't you think they had already experienced that? Don't you think they had already finished Sunday school class? They had already graduated third grade. They already knew Jesus said he's the son of God. When Jesus said, who's the son of God? Here's your multiple choice test. Moses, Elijah, or me? They always marked me. They knew he was. They knew he was. But he said, oh, no. I want you to believe. See, it's one thing to know something. It's one thing to hear something. It's another thing to take a step of faith acting on it. It's one thing to, to profess it. It's another thing to say, God, I now know. That's why I had to rehearse the gospel this morning. Because I know. But I'm a lot like that dude in the gospels that Jesus talked to and came to him and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I get it, but help me. And hey, listen, I read this book once or twice. I've walked with him through some dark stuff and some high points. I'm like, God, you, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus said that's one of the purposes of this. So that you would be, I'm glad for your sakes. Not for Lazarus' sakes. Not for, not for some of the others looking on. But I'm glad for your sakes. So that your faith in me would be deepened and strengthened. And you would know that you would believe. A third beauty from this. Was God got to do something unusual, supernatural. He's one of the beauties is supernatural ministry to those who are hurting. Supernatural meaning it's something beyond what you can explain, something beyond what you could measure, something beyond what you could do. It's, it's not natural, it's supernatural. <laughs> Verses 22 and 23. Even now I know, Martha says, that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. See, she believed, but Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She believed. Oh, but she didn't believe because when Jesus said, move the stone back, she said, no, no, no. It's been four days. I believe, Lord. Now, you don't really believe, but you will believe. And you can't really believe until you walk through this really dark spot. Because once you walk through it, then you'll be no question in your mind. And I'll have shaped you and molded you so that you can be used gloriously. That the Son of God might be glorified. 
a fourth one so that he could have a compelling display for the crowds. In other words, yes, it's to, it's to strengthen the faith of the disciples, but he wanted, to, he wanted to make a statement to those who were outside the faith, but close to the circumstances who were looking in. These are the onlookers, the curious, those who had a misconception or even no conception about God at all. They were the ones that would write an article in the paper and say, see, proof that there is no God, and if there was a God, he's impotent or unaware. He's not consequential. Who cares what he thinks? He's probably just the opiate of the masses. And Jesus said, buckle your seatbelts. Let me show you something. Verse 36 and 37. So the Jews were saying, oh, see how he loved him. But some of them said, here's the scoffers. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Here's what I wrote out beside that in my Bible. Oh, bless his heart. Because that's what they're saying, isn't it? This Jesus, he helped blind people to see, but bless his heart. This one was just too big for him. This is just too much for him. He didn't have his Wheaties this morning. There's no way he could do that. I mean, he had good intentions, bless his heart. You don't have to bless his heart. He's the blesser. You hold on a minute and he'll show you something you've never seen before. But now they would never have gotten that. But he needed to, he wanted to display his glory. Just who is this God that you say you worship? By the way, they all would have said they worshiped God. Bless his heart. Verse 43 and 44. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, if you had a hard time swallowing stuff before, 44 is going to kill you. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with the wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbinding and let him go. Now, that verse is interesting to me for two reasons. One of those, let me give you a parenthesis. Herb Revis and I were talking one day uh, when he came here to, to speak at the men's conference a couple of years ago. And uh, I got to go pick him up at the airport. We were talking and uh, we were talking about how life's changed in churches and how I don't wear a necktie and he didn't wear a necktie. And I said, uh, I said, how did you do that at First North Jacksonville? How did you get away without wearing a necktie? Some of you are wondering what happened here. And he tied a verse to it. He said, I just told my told my men one day unbind him and let him loose he said I'm just not going to get I'm not going to get bound up again he's like they didn't know what to do with the verse if any of you wondering why I don't wear a necktie why would you intentionally put a noose around your own neck that doesn't make a lick of sense close parentheses a dead man got up and walked not on his own power, not by his own initiative, but according to the command of the one who rules over the seas, who rules over the skies, who rules over the dead. When that one said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus stood up and said, yes, sir. And marched out like a man under orders. Actually, he didn't march out. They had him wrapped up like a mummy. He had to walk out on his tiptoes. Yes, sir. 
Now that may look ridiculous to you, but you tell me how a man wrapped up in mummy clothes made his way out of a tomb. It's not that he got fixed up on the inside because Jesus had to tell those with their jaws hanging slack, y'all let him out. You don't get to see unbinding unless there's first a binding. You don't get to see a resurrection unless there's first a death. And you can't fully appreciate the beauty of the power of the gospel until you've seen its consequences up close and personally. I think it's interesting that Jesus could have whispered this. You realize he could whisper, right? When he stood up over the stormy seas in the bow of the boat and he said, peace be still, it doesn't say he shouted at the top of his lungs. He just said, probably gave it the look my dad used to give me. Be still. And yet, he cried out in a loud voice. Well, maybe Lazarus was hard of hearing. That would have been a good example, except Lazarus wasn't hard of hearing. Lazarus was dead. And Jesus undeaded him. I know that's bad grammar. But that's good theology. Wait a minute. Isn't that how we started this morning? For you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, rich in mercy and grace. And by the way, it had an effect on them because this thing that happened in front of the crowds brought a response. Look at verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. Now, I think that's a pretty impressive idea, but here's what he said. This guy died and when Jesus called him out of the grave, many believed in Jesus. This sickness isn't unto death. It's unto the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified. One more thing. I don't want you to miss this. It's good. In this act of raising Lazarus, Jesus set in motion his journey to the cross. Don't miss that. He set in motion his journey to the cross. How do you, what do you mean, Chris? Well, drop down to verses 48 and following. Now, the disciples, the, excuse me, the Jews, the religious leaders, looking at a dead man who's undead. And the story and listening to the chatter among the people are like we're losing control of the crowds. So, they held a church meeting. Well, it wasn't really a church because they weren't Christians, but... Here's what they came to conclude, verse 48. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that, catch it now, it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation would not perish. Now listen, Caiaphas didn't have a clue what he was saying. But God knew what he was saying. In fact, God put the words in his prophetic little mouth. And out of, some, out of some evil dude's mouth comes the answer to everything that ails us. It's expedient for one to die so that the peoples would be saved. 
He hoped to put an end to Jesus' influence, but he actually was lighting the fuse of the redemptive power of the gospel to be displayed. From that point forward, they set out to destroy Jesus, and Jesus led them. Why? Because you and I had a debt that we couldn't pay. So he stepped in and said, I'll cover that. I'll take care of that. I've got that one. Let me take care. Matter of fact, 2,000 years from now, there'll be some, some preacher who's not really good with words standing up in a place in Rocky Mount, talk about this. I'm going to die for his sin too. He hadn't even been born yet. His mom and daddy hadn't been born yet. His grandparents haven't been born yet. But I'm covering the whole slate. And all sins, past, all sins, present, all sins, future. He said, Father, all of them own me. I'll take them all. And the father, listen, he didn't punish him wholesale. He punished him retail. My lying, my murder, my faithlessness, my, 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 and your, your, your. And with every stripe, with every action of judgment, Jesus was bringing to pass unbinding and letting loose for me and you. See, it's for God's glory and our good that Jesus stepped towards suffering and brings about good and beauty from ashes. You and I live in a broken world and we experience broken, broken circumstances nearly every day. But that doesn't mean that God's unaware or unconcerned or unable to act. It grieves him, but he didn't step away from the grief. He stepped toward it with redemption. And we find hope and promise in the days ahead, not by our doing, but his. And the unimaginable that happened to you, listen to me, because see, you've got an unimaginable in your life too. And the unimaginable that happened to you is not evidence of God's absence, but it's impetus for his action. He made a way and he paved it. And then he spilled his blood on it. And he extends a compelling invitation. If you're tired of trying to do it on your own, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden's light, and it'll be rest for your souls. And he teaches us, convincing us that we can trust him more and more each day. That what is unimaginable to us is not the last word. His sovereignty speaks the last word. And in his timing and in his way and in a way far better than you and I can imagine, he speaks. Now listen to me, I've got to close because there'll be more folks wanting to come in here in a minute. But you may be sitting here listening to me and that wasn't what you thought you were going to hear when you came in this morning. Or maybe you're here and you'd say, Chris, thanks for voicing the fact that as a Christ follower, this grief that I feel isn't fatal. It's not when we rehearse the gospel for ourselves and remind ourselves that it's a broken world and it's horrible. But Jesus is better. He's better. And you can trust him. And if you're here today and you're, maybe you're in the crowd, 
you're looking in at this exchange with Jesus and Martha. And you said, you'd say, I'd take a step toward Jesus. I'd, I'd respond to him. But I'm just not sure. I know. I'm just not sure. I'm only 95% there. Let me close with a story. 1988, I arrived at Fort Benning, Georgia to go to jump school. I ended up signed up for jump school because I told a guy that I was scared of heights. And he said, you're going to be chicken all your life. You're going to do something about it. And I said, you can sign me up. I'm a redneck from South Carolina. You can't, uh, you can't scare me into stuff. I'll sign up. People ask me, how many night jumps do you make? Most of them. I shut tight. <laughs> they told me the equipment worked. They taught me all the procedures and everything. But none of that matters until you step out the door of a plane. Then you know if it really works. And when it came my turn to step out the door, with 95% certainty... I stepped out. Can I tell you something? Same thing with me and Jesus. When I committed to him, I was willing to give him everything, but it is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And what I stepped out the door with 95% certainty is now 101% certainty, because I'm here to tell you today, if you will trust him, he'll not leave you. He'll not drop you. And he gets the last word. Would you trust him today? Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us today. This is Pastor Chris, and I pray that the message you've just heard has been a blessing to you directly from the heart of God. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at englewoodbaptist.com slash next, or give us a call at 252-937-8254. And let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us to reach a wider audience with a life-changing message of hope in Jesus Christ. We hope you'll join us again next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.